0: morning. Glad you're here this morning. Uh, Before I get into the message, uh, let me tell you why you need to come back uh, next week. Uh, Next Sunday, uh, starting on the 4th, we're going to take just two Sundays, so November 4th and 11th, and we're going to talk about our future, our building, and what exactly it's still going to take for us to get there. I I want us kind of like a family to all be together When we talk about that next Sunday on the 4th, also next week on the 4th, uh, we are going to, for the first time ever, we're going to reveal our goal date for when we're aiming to break ground on the new building. So, right, that's going to be just awesome. So I'm pumped for that. So be here uh, next week uh, for that. All right, this morning we are continuing in the book of Luke in the Bible, and we're going to look at a powerful story of Jesus forgiving a prostitute. Now, sometimes when people read this story, they focus only on the prostitute, but this is really a story contrasting two different types of people. There's the forgiven prostitute, but there's also the religious man, who's equally important for us to look at this morning. Uh, if you want to follow along in our passage, uh, we are on page 839 in the Bibles under the chairs. I was going to call them the pew Bibles, but <laughs> we have folding chairs here at Renovation Church. We're hardcore for Christ. Um, Or you can use the Renovation Church app. You just tap Bible uh, and weekly verses. And as we read the story, I want you to kind of think, who do you identify with more? Which of the two people? Simon the Pharisee we're going to read about or the woman? Okay, so we're just continuing to go through Luke chapter 7. We are now on verse 36, so we'll start there. It says, When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table a woman in that town who had lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him. And what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people, She's going to go into a, a parable here, an example. says, two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this that even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, at first read through, I'm not sure who you feel like you maybe identify with more, but there's a really important thing to notice here. Uh, This is not a story that's contrasting someone who's interested in Jesus and someone who's vastly opposed to Jesus, notice that both of these people want to see Jesus. They both wanted to be in his presence. They both wanted to learn more about him. In fact, it was the Pharisee in the first place, the religious man, that invited Jesus over to his house. And yet these two people are taking incredibly different approaches to Jesus, right? Simon, the Pharisee, not to be confused with Simon Peter, the disciple, two totally different people. Uh, Simon, the Pharisee, is clearly not ready to give his whole self to Jesus. In fact, he's treating Jesus like a regular old guest, right? Now, he's interested in Jesus, probably wants to have a discussion with Jesus, but he's not surrendering his life to him, right? At least at this point. The woman, the prostitute, is the exact opposite. Now, she's clearly had prior experience with Jesus because she understands his teaching about sin and forgiveness, And as she walks in, you know, Simon's probably peppering Jesus with questions. Just at the sight of Jesus, she begins to just weep these grateful tears. She kneels down, and with her tears and her hair, she begins to wipe Jesus' feet, something that Simon neglected to do. Then she takes this alabaster jar of perfume and pours it on his feet. Now, there's a lot sort of wrapped up in that culture that we don't necessarily understand 2,000 years later in a different culture. But an alabaster jar of perfume would have been incredibly expensive. Uh, in fact, the gospel writer Mark tells us that such an item would have been worth more than a year's worth of wages. Now, uh, these jars of perfume, I actually don't think necessarily a huge jar. They were typically worn as a necklace uh, around the neck. And so, which is what a necklace is. It's around the neck. I don't know why I just said that. Uh, around It's a necklace around the wrist. Uh, They would wear it around the neck, and they would typically be worn by wealthy women, or in this case, prostitutes. The old translations called her a woman of the city, which meant she was a prostitute. And then at the bottom of it, there would be more of like a bulb, and then it would grow into a really long, skinny neck, and at the very top of it, there would be the smallest opening, an opening so tiny that only the aroma of the perfume would come out, and no actual perfume could leak out of it. And so a prostitute would acquire this at great cost. Why? Well, you could probably figure it out. In those days, people didn't, I don't know how to say this, uh, they didn't smell good, right? And so, for this woman, the alabaster necklace was a tool of the trade. And you think about this woman, really, for her, her only power, her only leverage in her life had been her desirability, her attractiveness. Now, think about this, knowing what we just said. After hearing about Jesus and his ability to forgive, even people like her, she takes off the necklace. We're told she breaks the tool of her old life and she pours it out as an offering for Jesus. Come on, right? Where do we need to do that? Where do you just need to break the tool of your old life? That's getting in the way of you surrendering. Fully surrendering, turning over your life to Christ. What's the next step for you to do that? Right? This is so different than Simon. He, he, he's not interacting with Jesus in that way at all. Right? He's interested in Jesus. Otherwise, he never would have invited him over. Right? But you can almost see him rolling his eyes at the woman's devotion to Jesus. And listen, it's possible at this point in your life that maybe you do identify with Simon more than you do with the woman. Right? Maybe, maybe you're a follower of Jesus, or maybe you're here today and you're just kind of interested in Jesus. You don't know that much about him yet. But you would say that your heart, unlike, say, this woman, your heart isn't exactly overflowing with love towards God. And maybe you don't find it that easy to love people who mess up a lot. Maybe you find that you're being more and more critical each year of your life. And maybe it's hard for you to even find time to attend church or read your Bible. You've become, um, I, I sometimes call them, the, when the stars align Christians. Right? They'll come to church or read their Bible when all the stars align. Right? When you're not sick and you don't have anything else on your schedule Right, and, and it looks like uh, you're not tired and all the stars have sort of aligned and then we'll find a way to seek out God. But otherwise you feel like your faith for the most part is kind of just blase. So if you feel, you're here this morning, you're like, I'm, I, you know, there's people that are on fire for Christ, I'm not one of them. If you feel like that, And you maybe feel a bit more like Simon than this woman who's so grateful for Jesus. What's happened? What's the difference between the two? Well, let's just look to the word of God here. What's the difference between Simon and the woman? The difference is their viewpoint. See, Simon, this is really clear in the text. Simon is looking at everyone from above. That's his viewpoint. That he is above everyone. I mean, his view in the scene is that he's even above Jesus, right? The Son of God came over to his house, and he treated him like every other guest, right? He didn't greet him properly, he didn't wash his feet, any of that kind of stuff that you were supposed to do in those days. Simon thinks he's below or above the woman? Above, right? Simon thinks he has less debt to pay. But the woman, her view is she compares herself to everyone else, Her view is from below. It's a view of humility. She looks up to Jesus. She's down on her knees, right? She looks up to Jesus as Lord. She, she, She looks at Simon and all these other religious guests, and she feels below because of her sin. She feels like she has an incredible amount of debt to pay, Hers is the view from below. And Jesus is teaching us in his word today that if you want to come alive again spiritually, please don't miss this. If you want to come alive again spiritually, you need to have a view from below, not above, not above other people. Uh, Did you see how Jesus explained this? let's, Let's look again at just 41 to 43 in the text. He says, two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. And then Jesus sort of applies that bigger debt to the woman who maybe she wouldn't didn't necessarily have the bigger debt but she sees herself that way right it's the view from below look at verse 47 one more time he says therefore i tell you her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown but whoever has been forgiven little loves little okay so one person owes 50 denarii another 500 denarii Which in modern day terms, that's a lot of money. 500 denarii would be something like 75 grand. And the lender, that's a lot, right? Is going to forgive both of them. Forgive both of their debts. Jesus is teaching that the one who loves God the most. You know, the people you look around and they're just passionate about Christ. Those people are the ones that understand just how much they've sinned. And, this is very important, how much they've then been forgiven. Right? This is like the woman who's going to identify with the 500 denarii of debt forgiven. So she clearly loves a lot, right? She's grateful. But the Christian who feels like they've only been forgiven a little often has a really hard time getting excited about their faith. And there's a lot of people who feel like this. I don't know if they could express it that way, but I think that's how they feel. Uh, I sometimes feel like I would be an incredibly rich man if I had a nickel for every time someone who's grown up in a Christian home and appeared to be fairly moral on the outside has come up to me and said the following words. They've said, David, I wish I had your testimony. What are they saying? They're saying, I wish I had this testimony, that my story was one of which I was opposed to Jesus, I led this sinful life, and then I experienced his grace. But instead, they'll say, I just I grew up in the church my whole life, I had to suffer through listening to DC talk, and then I could, only, <laughs> I could only visit the opposite sex during visiting hours at college or whatever. Right? And there's a whole lot of you in this room that that's your story. And I always respond this way. I always say, well, okay, A, no, you don't want my testimony. Why why would you want any part of having a life apart from Christ Like clearly you don't understand what that's like? And B, think about, maybe you've never thought of it this way, think about how much pride is embedded in that statement. I wish I had your testimony. Now, I get that, you know, It's alluring to want this sort of idea where you have this old life of sin, and there's this transformation to new life of grace. But the underlying disappointment that so many of you have for growing up in the faith is that Jesus then, as you look at the—you're comparing yourself to this transformation, you're thinking, Jesus then didn't have to do that much in your life. And so thus, because he didn't have to do that much, maybe deep down inside you think he didn't have to forgive you that much, it's harder for you to love him that much. But is that true? I mean, is that even true? That he didn't have to do as much in your life because you grew up in the church, I don't think so. See, I find that people who grow up in the church become really adept at categorizing sin to make themselves feel better about their righteousness. So, for example, when long-term Christians say things like, you know, I was born in a Christian home. I've always been a good Christian. What is that? I'll tell you what it is. That's, That's Simon's speech. That's Jesus. If you knew what kind of woman she is, that's categorization. You're saying that these are the sins that are bad, getting drunk, you know, sex before marriage, adultery, divorce. You probably got a whole long list with an acronym or something from your youth group days. Now, it's not that those things are not sin, okay? Now, clearly, the woman in the story believes that they are, okay? Otherwise, why would she have felt so forgiven? But sometimes people who grow up in church, and they've been in church since they were a little kid, They overly focus on the sins that they don't have, so they don't have to think very hard about the serious nature of their own sin. But remember, if you want to come alive spiritually, and I assume that's why you're here, if you really want to come alive spiritually again, that you need to start taking the view from below other people, and not above One of the things that I've noticed over the years is that every passionate Christ follower... And I meet these people, and I think, oh, I wish I was just more like them. I wish my faith was more like them. Every passionate Christ follower that I know has come to terms with just how heinous their sin is in God's sight. And it's the fact that God would forgive them anyway that fuels their spiritual passion. You think about the Apostle Paul in the Bible... One of the things that he refers to himself as sometimes is the chief. He calls himself the chief of sinners. But he calls himself that after he's saved. I'm still the chief of sinners. So I just submit to you, if you've been a Christian your whole life, and your spiritual life is just kind of, meh, right now, certainly it could be a number of things, but there's a decently high chance that, that you probably just don't understand how grievous and how serious your own sin is in God's eyes. I know people don't talk about that, right? That's kind of not very American of us. It's not very Midwestern of us. But let's just process through that because I don't know how to push you forward to have a passion for Christ unless we talk about sin. So God is a father... And so let's just try and think of it from his perspective. In fact, let's try and think of it from a father's perspective. Let me give you two examples of, of kids doing wrong. You know, Sometimes I'll catch my kids doing something wrong, but they don't know that it's wrong. Right? And this is really common, especially for kids as they grow up and they're little. Like, so, for example, we have one of those refrigerator freezers where like, the freezer is the bottom drawer. You know what I'm talking about? And I caught one of my sons the other day. He had, he had pulled it out a little bit, and then he got back up on it and was standing on it to get something up out of the fridge. And I just I said, hey, hey, get off of there. You're going to break the freezer. And my son, he looked back to me with these sort of sad and rather shocked eyes, right? He's said, like, I didn't know. I didn't know. Like, I didn't know it was bad. I just looked at it and I said, buddy, it's okay. I'm not, I'm not really mad. And I'm not mad, why? Because you didn't know. You didn't know. That's okay. You didn't know. But then, I don't know if I'm a terrible parent or what, but I always add, but now you know, right? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that's one thing. they don't know, and your kids don't know. You come at them and you say, it's, oh, it's all right. You didn't know. But let me give you another example. Okay, what if you've told your kids not to do something a hundred times. They clearly know they're not supposed to do it. I, I'm pick anything here. Uh, let's say it's, they're not supposed to uh, turn on the TV when they get home from school or something. Let's say you, you, they're home from school one day, and you've got to go in the other room to, to get something or just check Facebook without them looking at you or something. I don't know, right? You go in the other room, and you come back, and you see your kids kind of going... And they sneak over and they turn on the TV. You just go, oh, honey. it's No, now you're mad. Right? Because they knew. And they did it anyway. Okay, so let's equate this to spiritual life. And I'm talking particularly to those of you that have been following Christ for some time. And you, kind of like Simon, are always looking at the other people out in the world going, I can't believe these people in the world today. And just unbelievable. And Why is it that those of us that have sort of grown up as believers, you've been a believer for a long time, that we have decided in the story that we are the ones that have little debt to pay back. Everybody else out there, they have all the debt. When really, we are like the ones who are sneaking out and turning the TV on. Those who have followed Christ for a long time are the ones that are sinning with the full knowledge of, of what was right and wrong. Right? Unlike the non Christian who's out partying until the break of dawn, but in ignorance, not knowing. The Christian knows their sin is wrong, but they do it anyway. And you need to think about that from a father's perspective. And so I would say to you be incredibly wary of creating any system in your mind that makes you out to be less of a sinner than anyone else in this room. Watch your mind and your thoughts. Be wary of creating any sort of system that puts you above anyone else in this room or not in this room. Because A, it's not true, and B, the view from above will suck the spiritual joy right out of your life. Because when you convince yourself that Jesus didn't have to forgive you a very much, then you won't love very much. That's how it works. Okay, let's look a little harder into the text at Jesus' illustration. Okay, even though the woman's debt seems greater to Simon, the reality is their predicament is identical. Neither of them can pay their debt. Right? So whether you're witnessing to the nicest person in your neighborhood or you're witnessing to someone on death row, the fact of the matter is if that person hasn't given their life to Jesus, they have debt that hasn't been paid, and they have no way of paying it. Now, I've often heard it uh, compared this way by a number of speakers over the years. Okay, if a poisonous spider—this is just going to be nightmarish for some of you, I'm sorry— If you're sleeping, and a poisonous spider comes along and bites you, and you die in your sleep. Now, I I think that's a great way to go, personally. But, okay, let's just say that happens, right? and And you die. Now, compare that person with someone who's out in Africa somewhere, or they jump into a cage at a zoo, and they're completely mauled by a lion, right? They're dismembered. They're decapitated. It is ugly. Think about those two people. Which of those two people are more dead? Right? They're just dead. And that's what Jesus is trying to say. They can't pay back the debt. Never forget the cost of your sin. Ever. That you were dead. Dead. Never forget that you had debt to pay. The world wants you to forget about it. The world, our culture, wants you to wake up, look in the mirror, and say, I am beautiful, I am great, I am smart, I am wonderful, I am awesome every morning, right? I am good. The world wants you to trick yourself into forgetting your bad parts and tell you that you have worth because of your good. But if you think of it that way, it will numb you to the gospel of Christ, The view from above is always numbing to your spirituality because it deceives you into thinking that you are great and that you don't need Jesus that much. In fact, he didn't even have to do that much for you. Take the view from below. I will tell you, it is so radically counterintuitive to our culture right now. I don't think it is in a lot of places in the world, but in America, this is countercultural stuff. Instead of looking from above, I want you to go home. I want you to look in that same mirror. And I want you to take a long, ugly look at yourself. I want you to start recalling the things that you have said. The things that you have seen. The things that you have done. And then see. Take a real look at this. Just how big your sin is, how deep your depravity is, how widespread your rebellion against God is. And then, when you're looking at yourself and you feel just about worthless, then you realize that despite all of your junk, that God still felt like you had worth. But it wasn't because of what you did or didn't do, it's because he made you. It's because you're his. And then realize this, that Jesus Christ, in fact, took the same long look at our heinous and despicable list of sins, and then he said, yep, I've seen it, I've seen it all, that's the one I love. That's the one I want in my family. I'll I'll see the list, I'll erase it. I'll cancel the debt. That's the truth. You see, you don't understand that when you minimize sin. Okay, think about what Jesus is saying even from a banking perspective. If a lender cancels your debt of 75 grand, right, that debt doesn't just disappear into thin air, right? No, the lender eats the money, right? They pay for it. They suffer for it. The love of Jesus for you is deep, my friend. See, it's not not just, don't oversimplify this, it's not just that he looked at your long list of rebellious sins and said, oh, I guess I can overlook that. The Bible says in Colossians 2 that he took on your debt and nailed it to the cross. But those nails went through his body. He paid the punishment of the debt of your sin, which is why the debt is forgiven. And Jesus is calling all types of people to him, right? If you're like Simon, he's calling you. He's willing to come and have dinner with people like Simon too. If you've been telling yourself your whole life that you're a pretty good person, you look at your neighbors and everyone else, you're like, yeah, I'm pretty good, I'm sure. I'm going to heaven. He died for you too. Because you're never going to make it on your own by being good enough because you can't pay for your debt. But he can. He can wipe it away if you believe. If you're like that woman, he's calling you too. I will tell you, you cannot out-sin the grace of God. Okay, if you're here this morning and you have drank yourself to sleep a thousand times, right, you've cheated on somebody, you've been divorced five times, you've had an abortion, you can pick anything you want, you cannot out-sin the grace of God. There's nothing that you can do that God can't forgive you for. If you ask him, that's the gospel. That's the good news. You see, that's how the woman hears it. I'm sure that she, like many people in this world, even in 2018, that she had felt, I've already done too much. I'm too far gone. How could I ever come to God? Because surely my bad deeds have so far outweighed my good deeds. What's even the point? And so can you imagine her tears of joy as Jesus who acknowledges her sin? He says, yeah, it's wrong. It's sin, but I love you still. And I will forgive you anyway. It's not your deeds that save you. It's your faith that saves you, he says. And listen, if you never understood that about Jesus until this morning, all it takes is faith. You're Never gonna be good enough. It just takes faith. I believe that you paid my debt for me, that you would die for me. All it takes is you saying, I believe in that. I wanna, if that's who you are, I wanna follow you. I wanna give my life to you. In fact, I just want to—I'm I'm going to close my message today by just giving you— if there's someone here today that you, you're hearing this for the first time, and you say, I believe that. I believe he died for me. I want to follow him. I want to give you an opportunity this morning to say that, to say, I, I want to follow him so you can be forgiven of everything. Whether it's your pride or your sin, anything, he will forgive you, and you can start to follow him. In fact, let's just—just just for a minute, let's just have everybody just bow their heads and just close their eyes. Because I just want this to be just a special moment between you and God. If that's you, and you just—you want to tell God for the first time today that you believe he sent his son Jesus for you, that he can forgive you, that you can go to heaven, heaven forever, by believing he died in your place. If you want to surrender your life to him this morning to make that sort of draw the line in your sand in your life to say, you know what, I believe if if you're that amazing, I want to become one of your followers. In just a second, I'm actually going to ask you to stand up where you are. No one's looking at you. That's why I just had everyone close their eyes. But just as a way for you to say, yeah, today, October 28th, I'm going to start following him and I'm going to accept that forgiveness that he died for me. So if that's you, wherever you are in this room and you want to be forgiven, and you want to start following Jesus today, would you just quietly but just boldly just stand up wherever you're at and receive that forgiveness? Go ahead. Amen. Awesome. If you're just—you can keep standing as others join. If there's anyone else here you just feel in your heart, like, I, need to, I just need to surrender to Jesus— I need to believe that he died for me. I just encourage you to just stand. Anyone else? Let me just give you another second. If that's you and God's putting it on your heart, just listen. It's worth it. Anyone else who needs to stand? If you made this decision today in your heart, I just want to pray with you. The Bible says that when we get to this point in our lives, that we, we believe in our hearts, but we confess with our mouths. And so this is not a magic prayer, but just a prayer to tell God where we're at. And so I just want you to repeat this after me out loud, whether you're just making this decision for the first time or you've believed this your whole life. So you can just repeat after me. Dear God, I confess to you that I've sinned against you. But God, I believe that you sent your son Jesus to take my place. And God, I thank you for forgiving my sins. And now I commit to following you with my life. Uh, As everyone still has their eyes closed, I just want to talk to those of you that uh, stood up this morning. uh, And at the same time, I'm going to call the band back on, on stage at this point. Uh, this is only going to take a, a few minutes of your life, but I believe these are a few of the most important moments uh, of your life. Uh, you just made the most important decision of your life, and I think when you make a decision of that magnitude, that requires some more information. So uh, here's what we're, we're going to do in just a second. I'm going to have a Zach just uh, pray for us uh, before we get back into worship. And as he's praying, I would ask that you just sneak into the hallway with me, if you were standing, and we just want to give you some resources. Okay, what do you do next? Uh-oh, uh-oh how do you even start this journey with Christ? And you can just sneak out while uh, everyone has their eyes closed. And I would say also, if you feel like in your heart today, you made that choice and you're like, I'm not the type of person that stands up in a crowd, but do you feel like ah, I made this decision today? Just, just while people have their eyes closed, just sneak out in the hallway with us as well. And uh, we just wanna give you those next step resources to get started. So, all right, Zach is gonna pray and uh, you can head out with me. Thank you.